This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. I'm Sean Drotar, Sandy Clough on my right. Danny Bailey is in the booth. Denver Broncos have a, it seems like every week for the last three weeks, it's the biggest game of the year. Well, it turns out that it is. That's what happens when you're making a playoff push for the first time since the team won the Super Bowl, really, because the 2016 season kind of off to an okay start and then the wheels came off. So the Broncos really haven't had a December in which these games mattered even more and more. Sandy, since 2016, it's the 2015 season. Uh, Well, actually, you could say at this point, I think in 2018, they were still mathematically alive. Uh, 17, they certainly uh, were not. (laughs) 16, they were mathematically alive. At this point, all those sinking. And it turned right. out in 18, they were sinking too. Uh, this doesn't appear to be a team that's sinking. Though. No. And, and it's not, it, look, it's not a rocket ship to the stars just yet. Let's not no, go, no, let's not not go crazy. Away. <laughs> but it, it is trending in the right direction. Defensively, of course, we've talked about the numbers uh, since the uh, first handful of games in the season. The Broncos are allowing more than 20 points fewer per game, which is uh, mind-bending. The offense uh, continues I, to get I, virtually unprecedented. Yeah. It, yeah I, and I think, you know, there are people sort of researching it. We're going to wait at the end of the year and someone's going to have a number that they're going to have to go back and look to who knows when to see if you had a midseason drop of that kind of scope. And it's what brought the Broncos back into the, the playoff chase. It's been the defense. The offense is still a work in progress. Now, Russell Wilson, by some metrics, has had a pretty good season. By some counting stats, touchdowns, quarter, you know, touchdown to interception ratio, a passer rating, pretty good year. Some of the more modern metrics, QBR, uh, expected points added, pretty pedestrian. Not bad, pedestrian. Which is closer to the real Russell Wilson? Has he been, when you look at the quarterbacks around the league, and, and I think, quite frankly, we're at the point now, Sandy, where we should consider durability a little bit of a factor. Where do you think he's fit? And let's say, I, you know, I get it. You can't divide the NFL exactly into thirds because it's 32 teams, not 33. But, you know... Rough estimate. I guess I have him in the middle third of the league, but in the upper part of that, I I think you're talking about somewhere in that 11 to 15 range. I think he's definitely in the top half of quarterbacks this year because there's no way to really ignore uh, the touchdown numbers or the ratio. But where do you grade Wilson, and how do you think the Broncos can do anything to help him do more? We talked about it a bit. Kind of think might be at sort of maximum production at this point of 35. But if that's the case, how did the Broncos generate more offense? I, I, I'm i not sure how they generate more offense. Uh, they are playing through formations a heavier brand of offense than they have at any time in recent memory. They are taking advantage of the defense being able to take the ball away, certainly during this winning stretch of six out of seven, more than any defense takes the ball away in the entire NFL. Right. And so as a result, they're operating on an unusual number of short fields. 
I think that has something to do with mm-hmm. the various heavy formations that they have gone with. And, and I know Sean Payton in the past during his years in New Orleans wasn't averse to doing that, but it really wasn't as commonplace with Drew Brees. Uh, the heavier formations, only one receiver on the field, for example, uh, two or three tight ends, which they do quite a bit right. these days. Yep. Uh, to greater effect between the 20s, I imagine, than they do in the red zone. But it, they, the calling card has been efficiency. Don't beat yourself. Don't put the defense in a bad position because this defense does not seem nearly as vulnerable to long sustained drives as it was two months ago. And so they're playing to their strengths. Their weaknesses consist of not being terribly explosive, but as uh, an NFL executive told Mike Sando of the athletic this week, and Sando has a column on uh, revisiting the quarterback tiers. Wilson, remember, was a tier three at the beginning of the year. Right. He is now a very, very high-level tier three and perhaps a low-level tier two in the sense that he is the consummate game manager. And I think more than any other quarterback, if you add the notion of durability to his efficiency as a game manager, and I know his touchdown to interception ratio was skewered a little bit by the three picks he threw in the last 16 minutes of the game against Houston yeah. a couple of weeks and ago. And, of course, the one that started the Chargers game as well. Well, yes, that's that's true. So that's half his interceptions for the year right. came over a game clock period of less than 20 minutes. <laughs> right? Uh, and that accounts for half the interceptions he's thrown. But by and large, through durability and efficiency – he has been the classic definition of a game manager, understanding that that's a pejorative to some people. Yes. But in the best sense that you can possibly use the term game manager, that's what he's been. And that's a market change, if not a transformation for Russell Wilson, because stylistically, Russell Wilson has never been accused of being a game manager of any kind throughout the course of his career, even his most efficient years. Uh, the Wilson calling card has been the deep ball, uh, the high parabolic mm-hmm. passes. Usually the, down the sidelines. Usually down the sidelines, outside the numbers, correct. His use of the middle of the field has been greater. Uh, this this year, year, it most certainly has. 2023 yeah. than in any other year in recent memory and maybe ever throughout the career of Russell Wilson. A lot of this is still playing out, but it's sort of 1960s, 1970s, style football where you're not exactly doing what Bob Greasy used to do with the Miami Dolphins championship teams, and that's throw 10 or eight passes in a couple of Super Bowls. (laughs) They're throwing a little more often than that, but they're taking advantage of Wilson's mobility and still his capability in generating maybe two or three really big plays each game in key situations, Mm -hmm. and that's to Wilson's credit that big plays don't just pop up randomly. They seem to happen, seem to happen, for the most part, in important situations, game-deciding situations that aren't always apparent at the time, but when you look back on a ball game, you think, 
Well, in that situation, it was important that they make a big play, and he delivered on it. Whether it's a 35-yard pass to Kroll mm-hmm. the other day, which wasn't a scoring play, but it was kind of a big play. Uh, yes, sir. Right? Given the circumstances of the ball game. Uh, he's had a facility for doing that, and it's very much different from not only the Broncos of early in the season, but of Bronco teams for the better part of six and a half years, almost six and a half years prior to this one. Crowley, you mentioned in specific and uh, reporting from our own Cody Rourke over at MileySports.com. You hear Cody uh, on the program here. You heard him on Monday. The Broncos making a couple moves. Greg Dulcich, is, is, his uh, 21-day window has opened, but he is not going to play on Sunday. The Broncos have, have ruled him out. They've also ruled or out. Or even on Saturday night. Or Saturday, yeah. <laughs> correct, pardon me. Saturday night, more accurately. Definitely not Sunday because there's no game. No but, game. Yeah, yeah. So no, nobody will be playing Saturday's on Saturday's night. Right. Uh, I, I'm still getting a grip on that. I looked at the schedule this week, and I, I, I'm like, Okay, I usually break them down into Thursday night games, Sunday early games, Sunday late games, Sunday night football, Monday night football. Uh, And last week, of course, there were two games on Monday night football playing relatively uh, close together. Overlapping almost entirely. One on ABC, one on ESPN. But this week. trying some stuff. There's Thursday night football. There are three games on Saturday. There are two, four, six, seven early games on Sunday, three late games, a Sunday night game and a Monday night game. So it's spread out a little more this week. Uh, There will be scoreboard watching on Saturday uh, before the Broncos take the field in Detroit because Minnesota's at Cincinnati, a game that would concern the Broncos, and Pittsburgh's at Indy, a game that very much concerns Uh, the Broncos because both teams are uh, playoff competitors in the American Football Conference. Yeah, we'll take a look at uh, some of that schedule in just a little bit too and what to watch out for, but, you know, I've – we know now that uh, you know Dulcich will not play, but they feel they feel like they've opened the window and an opportunity there. Uh, Nick Benito will not play as well. Unfortunately, the team's leading sack man is is going to be out for that game. This is how well the Broncos are going, though. He went out early in he the game really on Sunday. Him. They didn't seem to miss him. In fact, they had six sacks in the game by six different players. Yeah. Not one named Nick Benito. More will be uh, more snaps available, obviously, for rookie Drew Sanders, and uh, who has an opportunity to, to stand out. Who has, has looked, I think, He's promising more and more and mm-hmm. more. Have you noticed that? exactly? And he'll have another opportunity to do this. But the interesting part about it, you talk about tight end, and you mentioned Lucas Kroll, is that the the likelihood, at least according to Cody, is that Lucas Kroll will end up getting that spot on the fifty three man yep. roster. So now they have a spot there, and. Uh, they may decide to just promote him to the 53. That's what I understand Joe Flacco uh, had done in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Right. That that he moved from the practice squad to the active roster this week. It's past my comprehensive capacity to understand. They have a lot more rules of what you can do and can't do. Right. But he's kind of been on the practice squad, and they bring him off the practice yeah. squad so he can start. Well, now he's on the active 53. Sean like Payton explained that uh, at the beginning of the year, this is how they were going to use the roster because the changes right. in the practice squad rules, the way he looked at it, I believe, when he talked about it uh, early in the year, if I'm not misquoting, he said that he, he looks at it as kind of a 65-man roster, and they'll just kind of move guys around depending on on what happens. And, of course, you can only activate guys so many times, and then they have to be on the 53. Uh, all that sort of stuff occurs. But 
you know, now there's the opportunity to put veterans on there for a little later in their career than you used to be able to. So it really is, it's funny when the, when the practice squad was first mentioned, you know, it used to be called at times the taxi squad. Remember? Oh, you go back uh, even before the days of your yeah. birth. Well, now it really is. Uh, a, now it's a taxi squad. It. Now it's but a taxi that, squad. That, now it really is. Now it really is. It's not really there. It's, it's there that they're sort of ancillary players. They yeah. are you, they are your players. You just have to sort of change their status from week to week for a while. And so uh, maybe Kroll may end up being the guy. The, the Broncos, obviously, uh, after this game, will probably have to make a move again because Kareem Jackson will be eligible to return after his second suspension of the year. But I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm trying to look at ways the Broncos could generate more offense through the passing game. And the only way I can see it, oddly, because this team does play pretty decent complementary football, both on both sides of the ball, is I think the running game has to generate more consistent yardage in chunks. Uh, it, it's getting you there. You've got to take out the negative plays. Right. The negative the no plays gains. have to stop. The no gains yeah. have to stop. I think you're going to have to get those averages higher. Uh, I understand a lot of that you know, lies on Javante Williams, but there's been times Jaleel McLaughlin, Samaje Pirine, uh, Williams, they've all been stopped the second they basically gotten the handoff. Those have got to stop. And until this team does a little better job running, because I think they're really the only growth rate you talked about it. Wilson is using the middle of the field at a higher rate than he's traditionally used. Uh, I think we've seen that the deep ball is he's still capable of it, but he has lost a little bit of arm strength. I think that's obvious. And so try to grow it. I think there's two ways you can do it. I think the Broncos could run more slant routes. They really don't run a lot of slants. Uh, even though they've been using the middle of the field more, it's been sort of deep ends and some of those other type of passing routes. I agree. You could use some slants. The other thing that makes it work is play action, but that only works sure. when your running game is consistently doing damage. And I think for the Broncos, even though it's doing enough, it's not doing enough consistently. And given the fact that they've had their offensive line more or less whole, more than any other team in the entire NFL, I don't know how much growth is left there in these next four games to get the Broncos running game to be a more consistent battering ram that would set up the play action. So, in these final four games, I, I'm sort of feeling that even though the Broncos maybe need a little bit more, what you see is kind of what they've got for the last four games. You have to find a way to make it work. And maybe against the competition they have, especially the final three AFC games with backup quarterbacks, maybe that'll be enough. I agree with you completely. I would flip it, though, a little bit okay, to the other side in trying to find, if any, Flies in the ointment defensively. Okay. And the only one I can come up with is that over the last seven games, six of which they have won, more than 40.5% of opponents' rushes have gained at least five yards. Yeah. That's a problem. Yep. Remember yesterday we talked about Trends that might favor the Broncos against Detroit, specifically, mm -hmm. that Goff has become more vulnerable, especially to the blitz, uh, to pass rush pressure, mm -hmm. where he's always been a little shaky. It's really changed almost completely in recent weeks because the offensive line's been banged up and he's been feeling more pressure, and you're seeing the effects. Uh, since week seven, I think he's thrown for 10 touchdowns and seven interceptions. Before that, 11 touchdowns and three yeah. interceptions. 
when he was kept clean most of the time. And when he's kept clean still, he's he's pretty good. He's just being kept clean a lot less often. And they've had a tough right? time keeping him clean. And so and, and that coincides with the rise in the Bronco pass rush, even last week without Nick Benito for most of the game. The Broncos still, Sandy, dead last in the league in rushing yards against an average of 144 per against, right on the button. Now that's better than it was before because the Chargers game alone Knocked them down five yards a carry. They were 149.7 allowed prior to the Chargers game, but the Chargers' ineptitude on the ground and, of course, the negative game script led them to having a, an abysmal day. But and it lowered the Broncos' it. average by more than you know five yards a game. But they're still last in the league. And, and the teams that are near that, I mean, it, it's a pretty telling stat. Here's the bottom five teams in the league in rushing yards against. The Broncos, at the moment, good playoff position. The Packers, good playoff position. Yes. Cardinals, Giants, Jets. Yeah. You put the Colts there in the mix if you want to go deeper, but then it's the Saints and the Raiders. Yeah. I mean, well, you're not going anywhere if you can't stop the run. Here's the problem. The Detroit Lions, during this same seven-game stretch, are number two in the NFL, averaging 5.3 yards per rush. And, again, it's the same seven games. Right. Now, the Lions haven't won as often over the last seven games as the Broncos have won, but the Lions have a pair of exceptionally good backs. They really do. That's and a really great they've point. they've been averaging 5.3 yards per mm-hmm. rush in the last seven games. And, again, uh, that's number two in the NFL, matched against the Broncos being 29th during the same seven-game stretch and allowing 40.6% of opponents' rushing efforts to go for five yards or more. So you compare second in yards per rush over seven games to 29th in frequency of allowing five or more yards on a given rushing play. That's a gap that I'm sure the Lions hope to exploit if or once they get the lead. There will be a lot of running done in Detroit on Saturday night, especially if Detroit can get out to an early And I would think even as long as it's close, you'd be inclined to stick with it because as long as it's a one-score game, you wouldn't wouldn't find any reason to move away from it. What did we talk about Monday? We both did. The first two plays that the Chargers ran against the Broncos were runs by Austin Eckler, who was the only person who seemed to be playing with a pulse. On the offensive right. side of the ball right. the other day. Am I right? You are absolutely the right. Okay. Yeah. They immediately, after two successful runs that produced, of course, a first down, and I believe a second and less than five, they go to the air. They throw a pass down the field, one of the few well-thrown passes delivered by Justin Herbert before he got hurt. It's right in the hands of... Keenan Allen for a 50 or 60 yard game and he drops it. Right. They immediately abandon the run to keep throwing and only for brief stretches, including the beginning of the second half, did they go back and run a succession of running plays and they had some success there too. But by that time, of course, they were behind in the game and even with Easton Stick at quarterback, they were throwing quite a bit as opposed to uh, running. Detroit won't be as bashful. Uh, The Chargers have been a lousy running team all year, and they said during the week even Eckler would be challenged during the game 
And even though Eckler played well, they insisted on putting two other running backs into the mix, and that just mucked things up even more. The Detroit Lions will not muck things up. Uh, The Detroit Lions are coached by Dan Campbell, former tight end, loves the running game. Well, the running game for the Lions, as Sandy pointed out, one of the potential risks for the Broncos. We talked about how much they allow. Wait till you see what the production for the Lions on the ground is. I'll share it with you. It's, uh, your Broncos fan, a little unnerving. We'll talk about it next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Yeah, it's a passing league. It's a quarterback league. Blah, 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 blah. You want to know how teams win and you want a good predictor for finding out if teams are competitors and contenders in the NFL? Look at their rushing touchdowns on the year. Let me go down the list. Right off the top, Miami Dolphins, 24. They're certainly a contender, right? San Francisco 49ers behind them at 22. Tied with them, the Baltimore Ravens also at 22. Detroit Lions at 20. More on them in a minute. The Eagles at 18. The Colts at 16. They're maybe the, one of the weaker links. But then you get the Bills and well, the Jaguars. Well, you think about the running backs, though. Yeah. The Bills and Moss the Jaguars and at 15, certainly in the mix. I mean, right off the top, there you go. I mean, that's that's the top nine in the NFL. And they're all in playoff position, some of them very resoundingly so. The Broncos with five rushing touchdowns on the year. Only three teams are worse. And um, the Jets, Panthers, and Vikings aren't going to the playoffs. And the teams um, even... Teams Vikings are, would have a chance, but probably not. I agree with you. They seem to be, as they say, yeah. trending down. And the teams directly ahead of the Broncos, the Giants, the Patriots, and Buccaneers, mm-hmm. they're not either. No. So you're not in good company. But here's the part that's even more concerning. Because you talked about the running game for the Lions. Their top two backs, David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs, two very different stylistic backs. The numbers are good. Montgomery's got 770 yards, averaging 4.8 per. He's had uh, three carries over 20 yards. Gibbs has 692 yards, 5.4 per. He's had eight carries over 20 yards. And these guys together have 16 touchdowns. I I remember the Dolphins of the early 70s. Zonka and kick? With Zonka and kick, but... Especially when Mercury Morris, and Mercury was Morris, right? When Zonka and Morris would run for a thousand yards apiece, mm-hmm. these and guys Kick might was do more that. of a third down back. But he, these guys might do that. The other two a breather, but these it's guys might both get to a thousand. It's possible, and it is exceedingly rare for the twenty first century uh, to even have one one thousand yard back, much less guys with a chance. Kind of think, do you two? go back to John Fox's Panthers when they had? Yeah, on their I think run, you may be onto something. That might have to be the last one. But I mean, when we talk about those two guys, they have 16 touchdowns. Now you hear me give those numbers out. We have to take the Lions out of the equation because they're part of the Lions. In other words, Montgomery and Gibbs alone have more touchdowns than every team in the NFL, save the Dolphins, Niners, Ravens, and Eagles. And those arguably might be, as it stands today, the four most likely teams to be in the Super Bowl. They're the only teams that have more rushing touchdowns than those two guys. And they're different styles, and that's a potential problem for the Broncos. It is, and you have a coach who's just not going to run scared and has said this week that he'd be 
uh, how did he put it, a little more irritating to be around uh, <laughs> this week for his players because the Lions looked soft in Chicago last uh, week. That's a, that's, yeah, nobody likes that word, but Dan they did. Dan Campbell to have a team that is referred to as being soft, uh, he probably imagines that they deserve the label off their most recent performance, but I can't think of another coach who would be more upset at being termed soft than Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Detroit Lions. Yeah, it, it, I can't think of a single other coach under his skin a little who bit would just be completely out of his mind over that kind of characterization being applied to one of his teams. But I mean, think think of sixteen touchdowns, but eleven runs of twenty or more yards by these guys. They will be more physical Saturday night. They are. That, they that are will both be both physical they will be and explosive in the ground. Physical. Game. Well, that's what makes it special. And you have Montgomery, probably is more of a slasher. And again, this is a term that's used in a pejorative way, uh, far more often than it should be. Uh, Gibbs more of a scat back. Sure. And I I saw a lot of Gibbs um, at Alabama. I've seen him play in person. And he's terrific. And, Gibbs and, does and, have, and that doesn't mean he's soft and Gibbs either. Gibbs has 45 catches on the year. Yeah. He's a hell of a receiver. Uh, Montgomery is okay, but Gibbs can do everything. And he is fast. And Montgomery is no slouch, but more of a slasher. He will punish you more than Gibbs will yeah. in the running game. And if their offensive line gets a little bit healthier this week, then it's one of the best offensive lines in the league. Now, I, I understand that being the second highest paid offensive line doesn't make you the second best offensive no. line. And I'm not saying they are the second best offensive line because when Dallas played Philadelphia, I, I thought I saw two of the three or four best offensive lines in football, if not the two best. But the Lions, if they're healthy, are right up there in the top five or six among offensive lines in this league. And the Broncos, though they have largely stayed healthy, probably aren't, all things considered, one of the top five or six offensive lines. Probably not. At times, blocking the run, they're better. Even as pass protectors, they're better. But Wilson is still getting sacked a fair amount. Um, I, you might have the totals there at your uh, disposal. 38 sacks this um, They year. probably won't get to the 55 he sustained last year. In other words, year, basically a rough, roughly three per game. Although, to yeah, be honest, that's, for Wilson, that's three who's, who's over his career, coming into this season, Wilson in his career took 3.3 sacks per game. Yeah, well, this has been a typical now, Russell Wilson year. Now, he's been slightly under that. They're not quite at three, but it's been an atypical Russell Wilson year because we compare these two running games. Uh, Russell Wilson is the team's second leading rusher uh, when you're talking about uh, the big carries, the 20-plus. The Wilson has... Two of them, the same yeah. as Javante Williams. Right. Only Joe Little McLaughlin has more. And Wilson is the team leader in rushing touchdowns. Yes. With and, two. And Wilson knows when to run. I, I I thought last year, you know, much of the time he's running for his life. But remember, he would run around in circles sometimes. Right. He'd be so indecisive. And this year, he is anything but that. Uh, it's, I think, been well-established that he will look at his first read and his second. And then probably tuck. And then he's yeah. tucking and running. Unless for some reason he has a tremendous amount of time. We did see that. The and Corbin he does spot touchdown. openings. He, he right. has read the situations very well. I can't remember too many times 
uh, thinking this year when he's taken off, why did he bail so quickly? He wasn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Usually when he bails, it, it's, well, that's it's been for borne a reason out. other than escaping immediate threats. 69 carries on the year. 31 of those goes for touchdowns. And some of them are designed. And that leads the team. Javante some Williams with 170 run. carries, you know, not quite, uh, roughly two and a half times as many, has 30 first downs. So Wilson has been good at converting first downs. but Very good. You're Very not, good. Yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, we're Very talking good. almost 50% of his In carries. In fact, I'm more comfortable downs. sometimes when he runs on third down and yeah. six or seven than I am the passing because still their passes short of the sticks. Or their low percentage tries deep down the field, and you're wondering, heck, it wasn't third and 17. It was third and seven or third and six. It's, it's been interesting to watch it. when you talk about these running games. And, it, you know, yeah, I, I get it. We tend to look at the running games nowadays in many cases because quarterbacks put up such crazy stats and think, well, that's really how you win. And, it, look, it is partly how you win. But it's not the only way to win. And as we see in NFL this year, that has made sure that quarterbacks don't put up massive numbers as best as possible. And in the last handful of games for the Broncos, despite the fact that they had significant weakness, uh, Cleveland decided really not to dive into the run three games ago, even though they had a, they're at with Kareem <laughs> Hunt and Jerome Ford, they certainly had the ability to do so. Mark they chose Sanchez, not to do I it. thought at one point, doing the analysis mm-hmm. for that game. I thought he was going to jump out of the booth. He was like, why isn't anybody running the ball? What are we doing? This team's terrible against the run. Look, even at, in their loss to the Texans, uh, that there were carries. Stroud had six of them, of course, but it, it wasn't like they, they really leaned into it. Damian Pierce had 15 carries, 41 yards, and then it was Singletary, eight for 36. That was a good performance by the Broncos' D. You, you'd think. But that, it wasn't a heavy, heavy run attack. Wouldn't you think with teams looking at that 40.6% figure, even during a successful run by the Broncos of allowing five yards or more on a carry that they'd lean into the run a little more. I mean, they have that information. I mean, the last team that did was the Vikings. If we've got it, they've got it. The Vikings earlier, you know, early in the year, they 36 carries uh, on the day and they averaged, they got 175 yards and averaged yeah, 4.9 per game. carry. And, and that's I what the guys that like game. Ty Chandler. Yeah. Putting up, and numbers. Who, who is it, Matheson? Madison, yeah, Madison, 81 yards. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, and I'm not crazy about him because no. he's a fumble. But he averaged 4.5 per. Chandler averaged 7.3 yeah. per. Yeah. And, and guess what? The Broncos won that but by one but point. by one point, and they were fortunate. It's just odd it's a, that... Dobbs did not have a great game, and the Vikings still almost won. The Broncos really haven't been severely tested very often in this great run of football by the running game. Teams, uh, for whatever reason, even teams that would be capable of it, have kind of decided to pass on it. And I'm starting to think that Detroit is one of those teams that may decide that we're not going to pass on it. I don't think they'll pass on it. And I've been picking the Broncos now uh, for the last three weeks, four weeks. Yep, you have. Every week I've been on them. I had them losing uh, to the Chargers. I was wrong. You had it right. Yeah, this week I'm... uh, I, I'm I'm not as convinced because I, I, I think this week you can argue for many reasons that are psychological uh, rather than competitive. Uh, I mean, the Lions have a two-game lead in their division. Right. Yeah. Um, they need this game uh, to to hold off the, the, the Wolves. Yeah. Uh, and and <laughs> if, and the if you're the Lions, no yeah. lead is big enough. But yeah. 
the the other part of it from the Bronco point of view is what we've said, and I think you know it 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 just seeps through into the players' consciousness. And I'm not saying that the, they can't win this game, but they can afford to lose it, and you still like their playoff chances because you love them in the last three games of the year, two of which are at home against the Patriots and a team that actually now without its starting quarterback may be worse than the Patriots, and that's the Chargers. And then the other team's the Raiders in uh, the Al Michaels Bowl uh, tonight <laughs> on Thursday yeah, Night Football, a game that. that Al will certainly love with uh, O'Connell going against East of Stick. Stick. And uh, Al Michaels' dream game. Oh, yeah, I'm sure there's light. The you know what? If you're the Broncos, think about this. When's the last time? You could have a AFC West matchup between two of the AFC West teams in which the Denver Broncos could look at it and say, this has no bearing on our playoff chances in a good way. Right. It's been a while. No bearing. And they can look at this and be like, eh, we don't care. I was looking at the line for this game just because I do this sort of thing. And I'm seeing that somebody was favored by three points. And it could have been the Chargers favored by three of the Raiders. Turns out to be the Raiders. The home team got the standard three-point. After bump. their zero-point outing? And I'm saying, wait okay. a minute. <laughs> they got shut out last week. What was the final? Three-nothing? Three-nothing. Yeah. So they got shut out last week. And they're three-point favorites this week. Um, I don't know if that's... How does that compute? That does, exactly. That doesn't happen often. So... Um, I have a 10-9 game with the Chargers actually winning, <laughs> but it could be the Raiders, and I still, you know, if they win by one, that means that the Chargers plus three uh, get the nod. I, this is just an off game, but you're exactly right. Can you imagine two other AFC West teams playing that are both clearly worse than the Broncos in a game that has no consequence whatsoever for the Broncos the two games Saturday that precede the Broncos game have much more meaning to the Broncos than an intra-divisional game tonight between the Chargers and the Raiders. Well, they've earned How the opportunity have changed. to not have to deal with that, so a, a good for them. And here would be my, uh, I'm not big on the hot takes, but I would say this. If the Chargers, ah, look, the Raiders scored no points. If the Raiders end up, if the Raiders end up beating the Chargers tonight, Kellen Moore might be coaching the Chargers next week. Uh, yeah, well, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, think that's a possibility. It's like it's it's the old Jeremy Foley line, a longtime athletic director at, at Florida, and I've used this line many times because I love it so. Uh, what must be done eventually is best done immediately. Fair enough. Well, right? we'll, we'll find out tonight on Thursday. And that night football. applies to Brandon Staley. It doesn't really matter. You know, you're going to fire him. It's kind of like that with Ron Rivera in Washington. You know, he's not long for the job. Uh, they could have fired him. Which is why in both cases I look at it when you have, young, when you have younger candidates that you were, will definitely consider internally in Kellen Moore and Eric Bieniemy, yeah. respectively. Yeah. I look at it and like, why not give him a running well, start? I but had, that's me. Um, as they say, inside information that there would be firings after Washington got plastered on Thanksgiving by Dallas. And there were firings. It just wasn't the head coach <laughs> no, who got fired. no. We will talk more about this in a bit, but we'll turn our attention to the Colorado Avalanche, who uh, looked really good last night against the Buffalo Sabres. I hear they look good on TNT, except we around here couldn't. Yeah, there's always that issue. So if you didn't get to see it for whatever reason, we'll tell you what happened and what it means next on Miley Sports. 
This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Sabres trying to keep up. Here's Jack Johnson. One timer Scott! Sam Malinsky! There it is! His first career National Hockey League goal! Courtesy of Altitude TV, sometimes that ping is good sound, sometimes it's a bad sound for Sam Malinsky. It's a haunting sound yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it's a good sound. He scores uh, his first goal in, on the night. He also had an assist earlier, first goal he in his was, career. I thought he was very good. Great. Very, How about very this? good. One goal, one assist. Plus three in 16 minutes, 25 seconds. Yeah, playing playing sizable and minutes. The more he plays, mm-hmm. the better he, he looks. And he shoots from the right side, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Right-handed shooting defensemen always have value because there aren't that many of them. Yeah. It, and there aren't that many of them who are really, really good. And uh, he looks really Sam promising. Malinsky looks uh very good to me. I'm skate. already a boy, fan. Can he skate. Hey, boy, can he skate. And I, I've talked about this before. I hope Samuel Gerard makes a complete recovery. Good for him uh, in uh, checking himself into the uh, NHL facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I hope he's back healthy. Uh, I didn't say soon. I hope he's back healthy, completely healthy and ready to go. But the performance in his absence of Malinsky has made me think that if they're looking for around the time of the deadline, as they might very well be, yeah, a middle six forward, not not even a top six forward, a middle six mm-hmm. forward to complement what they already have. And I still want to see what they're like when Lekkonen comes back. Yes, I think that's I, a big I, part I, of I the want equation. to look and yeah. see how it. Right, how the lineup sets up with Lekkonen because I love the third line: Colton Wood and O'Connor. Leave they that were one good alone. last night too. McKinnon, Nashushkin, Rantanen. That's fine. I thought Druen played one of his better games last night. I thought Tatar was good. Johansson played 14 minutes, and for the uh, people charting the minutes, uh, uh, the time on ice uh, vis-a-vis Johansson and Colton. Johansson played 14 minutes on the second line, and Colton played 12:33 on the third line last night. Back to the way it was a few weeks ago. Uh, but if they need to look at a middle six forward and are looking at a defenseman to move, I I'd say Malinsky gives him a chance to think about moving Samuel Girard or. Potentially even Bo and Byram, depending on what your I'd return is. I'd be more reluctant I with Byram too. because he's younger than Gerard. Uh, they're both left-handed shots. I think Bo and Byram at this point is a little bit better offensively than Gerard. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, but you know, to give away defensively, something, though, to get he something hasn't been you want, than you have, might have something to yeah. give away somebody uh, else wants. That's right. That's but, right. But let's not also forget about Caleb Jones, who's when he's had his opportunities has I, looked I, pretty good. I as well. think Caleb Jones has looked fine. So, I, to me, they have some promising prospects in Malinsky and Caleb Jones that make the notion of dealing a defenseman, and, of course, it wouldn't be Jack Johnson because of his age, right. uh, it, 
and you're obviously not moving Taves or McCarr, uh, or Manson, for that matter. No. And may, I'll tell you what, maybe Byram, some of the metrics suggest that Byram and Girard as a pairing weren't that bad. Uh, for me, they didn't pass the eye test, but I, I know some of the expected goals share right. numbers uh, actually indicate that five on five, they were a decent pairing, except they got outscored. And that's always the bottom line to me. But in any case, I think Byram has said as much when he was paired with Girard the left-handed shooting Byram had to play on right defense. Mm-hmm. He didn't like that. He has given voice to that. He's a team guy. He's not saying, you know, move me back to left defense or I won't play. Right. Uh, he's clearly more comfortable on left defense. You've got a right-handed shot in Manson. Manson's better with Byram than he is with anybody else. So you, I, to me, that's a that's a good second tandem. And, and last night, uh, because McCarr was out of the game for a while. Uh, he ended up only playing 17-21. Byron played 22-52, and Manson played 19-23, and they, I, I thought they were both fine. Speaking of other prospects, of course, we have to talk about uh, Ivan Prozvatov, who, as we figured, after coming in in relief and going 11-for-11 11 11 on yeah, saves, got great. the start. He gave up one so goal he's, uh, what, on 30 shots. 40 of his last 41. Right. And, and that Over one goal, periods. by the way... The Avalanche were sort of discombobulated Not on defense. Fault. They they kind of allowed a point blank, uh, you know, unblocked shot where it, you know the shooter basically had a clean look at it and it got past Prozvatov. But yeah, Prozvatov basically saved forty of his last forty-one shots. <laughs> uh, gets the win in this, and I think what we've seen from a guy that is really quiet in net and building confidence is that uh, you know maybe maybe. You have found yourself your next Pavel Francouz, a highly reliable backup goaltender that for for who can actually stay healthy and, and for stretches of time. For example, when Georgiev is not Georgiev seems to be kind of a streaky guy uh, because of the with how hot the emotions run. Yes, and sometimes if you need Georgiev to take a couple nights and take a couple deep breaths and cool down, it kind of looks like Pros Pros can handle that load. Remember last year. But Bednar did in January sure. after Georgiev went off against Makar in Vancouver in a bad loss. Over the next two weeks, he got him put Francois in. But then also in. look what happened to Georgiev after. And then Francois <laughs> got hurt, of course. Right. They had to go back to Georgiev. And he went And he almost every night was great. And if you're looking at the three most valuable players in their season finishing run of 31-7-4, and four, Georgiev would be on that list. Certainly. As one of the three most valuable Avalanche players. Uh, during that final run, and you had this pick, my friend. You you said uh, on Monday, I believe, you said Prozvatov should start mm-hmm. on Wednesday against Buffalo, Certainly. and Jared Bednar's thinking was identical to yours. Yeah, I mean that's the opportunity to give a young guy an op. You know, he he, he showed out, it helped your team get a win. And this is where you give him another start. You're like, all but, right, you earned it. I'm saying Georgiev recently slammed Malinsky with his stick right. after a goal Which is that he thought Malinsky had screened him on. And even Georgiev said after the game, I was wrong. That's a terrible thing to do, and I'm completely in the wrong. And I uh, I told Malinsky that. And, and, you know, and, and Bednar uh, it, acknowledging that Georgiev was yeah. apologetic. Unprompted, it, right. He said, uh, we... Not I, we, including the goaltending coach, will have a conversation with yeah. Georgiev. And uh, Georgiev got the quick hook uh, the other night. Well, 
quick after two periods are down five to three, gets hooked. And uh, Prosvetov properly played last night and, and played well. And I thought, again, it was one of those uh, rare nights, uh, at least recently for the Avs, but they've strung a couple together now where all four lines performed well, all three defense pairings performed well. Um, they got off the first 15 shots on goal in the game before Buffalo took a shot on goal, and they developed a 3 nothing lead. And I thought of the last 45 minutes of the game, it was pretty even, but, you know, <laughs> the, the, the uh, unlocked uh, uh, farm door had uh, been pushed through by the horse by then. Right. <laughs> by then, the game was gone for Buffalo. Um, but, uh, you know, it was a nice, comfortable evening for the Avalanche, and they are in first place now, though Winnipeg and Dallas have the game in hand. They have a two-point lead over Winnipeg and a three-point lead over Dallas. And 38 points, yes, it's the lowest point total in the league for any first-place team, but the Rangers are at 39, Boston's at 40, and it's Vegas at 45, but Vegas has played 30 games. Right. The Avalanche have played, uh, at this point, 29 games. Um, yes, um, that game in hand uh, won't bridge the gap between Vegas and the Avs, but if the Avs stay where they are right now and they're the two seed for the playoffs, uh, you know, they'll be playing somebody like uh, Arizona. Unfortunately, they might also be playing somebody like Edmonton in the first round, although I, I, even though they're nine points behind the Kings and 12 points behind Vancouver, I think Edmonton will finish in the top three in the Pacific, and that means that the Avalanche can't possibly play Edmonton in the first round. Prosvetov now at nine games this season, six of them starts. That's the most he's ever played in a single season thus far. 2.49 goals against in a safe percentage. Have you heard him speak, too? He's, yeah. he's a good kid. Eloquent. He, he's he's. How about the no, safe percentage, It's, it's not his first language, and I always say, you know, he, he speaks English a hell of a lot better than I speak Russian. And, uh, Nine nineteen save percentage. Yeah, on the excellent. Bar. He's and, been, and, and he's been relatively steady. I know he threw in a stinker or two. Give it up but. to that to that top line for the Avalanche again. Oh. Uh, Valeri Nachushkin, a pair of goals. Miko Randon, a goal and two assists. Randon's uh, on a tear. Nathan McKinnon, two assists. By the way, Nathan McKinnon, a couple uh, benchmarks there for McKinnon. McKinnon with his eight uh, hundredth career point last night with those two assists in only seven hundred thirty-eight games. Sometime around two years from now. Maybe December of 25, we will be talking about a 1,000-point man in Nathan McKinnon. Yes. McKinnon, by the Assuming way, last night. reasonably good health. I mentioned it yesterday prior to the game. Uh, now pulls even with Gabriel Landeskog. Both have played 738 games in an AF sweater. Only Adam Foote, Milan Hayduk, and Joe Sackick have played more. And uh, oh, when you and talk that, about that, a guy that's that, on that, a... McKinnon's going to play a lot more. Yeah. Some, uh, and we hope Landeskog does too, but... Some kind McKinnon of tear. McKinnon, by the way, now point streak is at 13 games, 21 points in those 13 games. It's the longest uh, point, current point streak in the league. Well, He's that's, also, that, that's the 13 home games, I think, right? Uh, no, it's just 13 current games right right now. He's, he, has, he, has, he, has a, he has a 15 game streak at home. Okay. 13 I, I across the board. Then. I got it. So, yeah. Oh, well, you're right. I can't read. <laughs> okay. I have, I'm, I'm telling you, I have 9, 19, 28 at home. 15 games in parentheses. Yeah. 6, 15, 21, last 13. So my illiteracy. 
caused but, me but to you actually, correct you but when you, I was wrong. You wrote it down right, though. So I, I mean, wrote it down right. You know, that's that's. And that's I write trick. things down because I tend to remember them when I write them down, but occasionally I have to read, and I can usually not always, but I usually read my own writing. And here I just ignore Either way, McKinnon is on a heater. The Avalanche now have won back-to-back games. They will get back at it on Saturday when they go to Winnipeg to take on the Jets. The Broncos, it will be. Winnipeg spanked him at Ball Arena very recently. I'll be paying attention to that game, although I will have to admit, I'll probably be paying a little closer attention to the game that starts a little hour, an hour later than that face-off in Winnipeg. That would be the Denver Broncos and the Detroit Lions. We'll talk about that. Plus a little bit of uh, Mines football championship weekend with our friend from Fox 31, Aaron Anderson, who joins us next on My Life Sports. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.